Hey everyone, it's Blake. We are getting very close here to the 100th episode of the show. And for the 100th episode, I am going to finally do an episode that you guys have been asking for for quite a while, which is an episode about me and what it's like to have a podcast, how I started my podcast, any sorts of questions like that. So I'm going to have my wife interview me for that episode, but I wanted to get all of the questions from you. So if you have a question that you would like to ask me about myself or about the show or whatever it is, having a podcast, to start a podcast, feel free to email me at blake at halfhourintern.com or you can just click on the email icon at the bottom right of the halfhourintern.com homepage. Thanks so much. On to the show. So once I discovered that, my mind just kind of opened up like, wow, there's this whole, I love this stuff and there's this whole other world of stationery out there that I haven't discovered. So I started writing about it. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Brad Dowdy, who has devoted his life to the amazing, exciting world of pens. So that might sound not very exciting to some of you, but uh, I highly encourage you to listen to this episode and learn why pens are actually pretty darn cool. And I am totally sold because Brad was nice enough to send me a nice pen with some nice ink and some nice paper and stuff afterwards. And now I've been like journaling and stuff every single day because it's just so nice to write with one of these really cool pens. So if you don't even know like what a really cool pen would be or why someone would care, you should listen to this um, because my eyes were really opened while uh, talking with Brad. So Brad owns penaddict.com. He also runs the Pen Addict podcast, which is a great product about all things pens. And then he runs another company called Knockco, which makes uh, different uh, like like things to store your pens, little like pockets, and then they make some paper, all, all sorts of cool goods made in the U.S. that help support um, like pen enthusiasts throughout the country. So without th- further ado, here is Pen Addict. Brad, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Blake. This is pretty cool. I'm pretty excited about this. I love your uh, I love your podcast as it is. So it's it's pretty cool to be part of it now, dude. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited for this as well. I I think things like this are so fascinating to learn about because it usually like the more innocuous something seems, kind of the more interesting it can actually turn out to be. So I'm I'm hoping that that's the case with pens. So why don't we start like really plain and simple with what are the types of pens out there like to even that you know our listeners might just have sitting around their house right now sure I, th- I think there's probably three most common types of pens one is just your basic ballpoint um it's the pen you're going to find in most places you're going to find it at the bank you're going to find it under your bed or your sofa you're going to find it at the grocery store signing a, a check at the uh, restaurant it's basically just a, a standard looking pen um the ballpoint ink is not that great you know a lot of people We'll write with it and it's kind of globby and messy. Um, the colors aren't that rich or vibrant, but it's the cheapest to make. It's the most common. It's the one you see out there the most. So that's kind of the one people fall into when they're not into pens or anything and just kind of reach for something and it ends up being a ballpoint. 
the second by the way you just brought up such an interesting point about them being underneath uh your bed or like in the couch cushions or something like that (laughs) i like pens are so much like socks and that they just get like lost all the time and i like i don't know where like somebody has to be getting all these pens right because i've bought probably seven million pens in my life and i think i've maybe only ever used two pens ever in my life to the like end of their life and i probably acquired them when they were already halfway through their life but i've almost never like you know looked at a pen and be like oh you know what it's out of ink but i've bought about a million pens so does that mean that somebody else out there just has all these pens that they're like finishing up and you know they're using the very last of every single pen that they're acquiring (laughs) yeah it's it's totally the sock and the dryer thing right i mean you can't buy enough socks they're going to get eaten by your dryer and i don't know where they go um, but someone's probably having a pretty big sock and pen party right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. All right, let's move on to pen type number two. Yeah, so uh, the rollerball is a water-based ink. Well, the ballpoint's an oil-based ink. The rollerball is it's going to give you that darker line, richer line, probably smoother to write with, um, a real stark line. But people will notice when they write with a rollerball ink that it might bleed into their paper or not look, make their hand line, handwriting look as nice. So that's a particular style of pen and, and based on the, the type of um, ink that it uses. Interesting. Um, You're saying that's it, water. It based. Yes. So, so it, it truly is bleeding into the paper. Yes. Literally bleeding into the paper. Um, so the ballpoint is oil based, so it's not going to really do that. Um, the rollerball is water based. And then the third most popular kind, um, and these aren't in any particular order, is is gel. Um so that's like a pigment emulsion based refill. So there's this pigmented um this pick color pigments in the refill and the suspension that they're in is not as watery as the ink you would find in a rollerball pen. So that allows the gel inks to be really rich and really dark in colors. Um, they can bleed on the page. They don't as much, but they don't dry as fast either. Like they they sit up on the page a little bit when you write with them. So, you know, you'll see people's hands smearing them across the page a little bit more because they don't dry as quickly because that's a property of that ink. So those are the three ballpoints, rollerballs, and gel ink pens. Um, you know, people who really aren't into pens will call kind of everything one of those names a ballpoint pen a rollerball pen because they all use the same like tip technology they all have a ball in the tip of the pen so it could be a ballpoint or a rollerball but to someone who's into pens and things like that those are two very very different things <laughs> of course so and then what type of pen is like a, a classic fountain pen like a calligraphy pen yeah so you know the the i guess the fourth and probably the most different type of pen is the fountain pen. Um, it's got a completely different delivery mechanism for the ink. It uses a, um, you know, like a, either a steel or a gold nib to deliver the ink onto the page. Um, it'll either use an ink cartridge or you can, there's systems where you can just draw ink straight up into the pen barrel. It's called a piston filler where ink's just sloshing around in the barrel. And, um, you know, you write that way. And, um, you know, there's a kind of a myth and mystery about fountain pens that scares away a lot of people. And I was scared away, you know, of from fountain pens, you know, four or five years ago. I didn't use fountain pens at all. And now I, I've really kind of uh, found a, a big, big enjoyment in using a fountain pen. They, they're they the most customizable of all the pens, right? Hmm. If you want a gel ink pen, you go to the store, you buy a Pilot G2, which probably most of your listeners have seen, you know, at the office or just laying around the house. And there's your black gel ink pen. Well, with a fountain pen, you can have 
different nib sizes, different colors. Um, they work in all kinds of different situations. You can really customize your writing experience with a fountain pen, whereas with like a Pilot G2 gel ink pen, you're stuck with that pen. And that's fine. You know, if that's what works for your writing style, that's what you should use. But that's why people end up getting into fountain pens is they're looking for something specific. And a lot of times you can find that with a fountain pen. Okay, interesting. So the fountain pen is basically like slowly releasing the ink down the the nib portion that you're talking about. And just like a little bit is coming off each time that you're writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's metered and different pens have different uh, ways the ink flows through. But just think like um, if you have a cartridge based fountain pen, it kind of snaps into it like a little post. And then that post allows just a little bit of ink to trickle down into what's called the feed. And the feed holds that ink so you can have a consistent writing experience. Right. So it's not dry and skipping. So the the ink kind of stays in this feed area, then it's delivered through the backside of the nib um, and then out the tip. So it it remains consistent, uh, consistent, consistent flow, consistent wetness. And so you don't have any issues writing with a pen. All right, man. So uh, let's dig into this more. And before we talk about the uh, all the parts of pen collection and the hobby of pens, but first tell us like, why the hell did you get into this? Like it's <laughs> it's one of those things like where, where you know somebody telling you that they collect stamps. It's like, "Oh, okay, like that's that's a thing you could do." You know, but it's not something that's <laughs> that is like sexy, you know? Like if sure. somebody says like I collect Ferrari cars, it's like, "Well, first of all, how much money do you have?" But second of all, I could see that. Like that's pretty cool, you know? But when somebody says I collect pens, it's like, "Oh, okay, okay." So like what why pens? Why did you get started? How did you get started? Like what happened? it's a long seated thing with me. I've always enjoyed stationary. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to find like the finest tip pen I could, you know, at the store and I would hoard those. So I could draw my little cities or little airplanes, you know, with my friends and we draw all these little towns and stuff, but you had to have like a really, really fine pen to do that with. And you just really couldn't find that, you know, when we're talking like in the eighties and things like that. And so that never really went away. I was, I was always particular with what I wrote with, you know, in high school and college and things like that. And even after in, you know, when I had regular jobs in offices, the office supply cabinet, I would never use those pens. I would always bring my own because I was particular with what I wrote with. And it's not from the aspect of collecting pens. I guess you could call me a pen collector, but I'm more of a pen user. So I've been out to discover the things that work best for my writing style. So it doesn't matter if a pen is collectible or not. It matters whether it works for me very well when I write. It ends up on the page exactly how I intend it to. So I started, you know, as I as I got older and as I would, you know, visit the office maxes and staples on my lunch break like the weirdos would do. Um, you know, I finally kind of ran out of ideas from those places there's not that much interesting interesting stuff on store shelves. So that's where the internet came in. And I, my eyes were open to Japanese pens. And what the, the Japanese are huge believers in stationery to this day. Pens and paper are part of their daily life, way more so than um, Americans. So they have very specific products, including very, very fine gelling pens. So once I discovered that, my mind just kind of opened up like, wow, there's this whole, I love this stuff. And there's this whole other world of stationery out there that I haven't discovered. So I started writing about it. I mean, my blog's been around for, I think, over eight years now. Um, so I, I've been writing, you know, in the beginning, my discovery of these pens. And I figured, yeah, I'm just going to do this for fun. 
and maybe there's someone else out there interested in it. And it turns out there was, and it just kind of became this whole community thing where there's a bunch of us that talk about pens now. It, it's it's pretty random when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool, man. That's great to find other people that are into the same stuff as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, so that's funny that you mentioned the Japanese thing because the question that I have for you later was about like different countries and cultures that are really into making pens and that make great pens. And the whole reason that I had that question was because I had... Japan is like a number one suspect on my list for being this country that people would probably really want to get pens from there and that a country that would be into making high quality pens. Um, and I guess sure enough, they are. So um, <laughs> are, are there other countries and cultures as well, first of all, that, uh, that, that are like Japan that are like really into writing and that uh, still make really great pens? The two biggest are definitely Japan and Germany. So those have kind of that historic writing background and that's where some of the biggest pen manufacturers come from both of those countries because it was such a part of the lifestyle coming up it was part of the school system you know everyone in 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 germany when they were younger you know they're getting a fountain pen and a bottle of ink to sit in class with you know where in the u.s we don't do those kinds of things so you know that tradition's continued on in in germany not necessarily the pens in the classroom stuff but since they have such a long history of making the pens and inks and papers, they're one of the most well-respected pen manufacturing countries in the world. And then Japan's the same way. It's such a part of the lifestyle over there that, you know, there's companies that make very specific items for very specific tasks, like writing postcards. You can buy a pen that's essentially a postcard writing pen. That's its job because you need to write a lot of words in a very small space and it needs to dry fast and not smear when it's going through the post. And they think of these, they consider these things where that you and I wouldn't consider if we were making a product in the U.S. just because that's how they use things. So Japan and Germany uh, are, are the tops for sure. That makes sense. That's so funny. That's the other, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the other country that I would have completely thought as well. And uh, to me, like Japan and Germany are basically the same country. It's just like mm-hmm. one's in Asia and one's in Europe, but they... You know, here in America right now, and I'm sure a lot of the rest of the world, there's this kind of explosion of the arts and crafts scene. Like, people are becoming much more crafty and doing things with their hands and stuff like that. That being said, there is still not that much of an explosion in in terms of doing things with your hand with really functional things. Like, in mm-hmm. Japan and in Germany, they also are incredibly well-known for making knives, they're also mm-hmm. both well known for making watches. You know, it's like they make yep. the they they're they they have just like attention to detail that kind of nobody else has. You know, so it makes so much sense to me that those would be the two countries that would be into making pens. A, they have attention to detail, so they care when they're using the pen. They really care that their writing looks exactly like how they want it to look um, for you know whatever it is that they're doing. But also when they're making the pen to begin with, they're gonna have so much attention to each part of the pen being just so and being very perfect you know yeah it's a very purposeful design where over here in the u.s we just need some random pen to slap a viagra logo on and hand it out to people right i mean (laughs) yeah we don't care about well is it going to write well when someone tries to use it you know it's a completely different mindset their designs are very purposeful be it in germany or in japan um and they're willing to make 
smaller, more particular items to handle, handle smaller, more particular needs as opposed to, you know, just mass market only type of products, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so let's move into more of the uh, the hobby piece of it and being mm-hmm. a collector or like a hardcore user or whatever it is. So uh, first of all, what are kind of the most common pens that people have in their collection or like the most common pens that people have if they're really into pens? So I, this is kind of a, this is an answer more just from like the general perspective. A lot of people know what a Pilot G2 is. That's kind of the most popular gel link pen in the U.S. and maybe in the world. I mean, it's because it's a little bit of a step up from, you know, just the the basic Bix that you might find laying around or the basic generic ballpoints that you might find laying around. Someone can try a nice gel link pen that's readily available and discover that, oh, this is a better writing experience than the junk I have laying in the drawer. So that's a real common pen. Another one a real basic pen that you can get at any store that's such a good writer is called the Uniball Jetstream. So what the Jetstream did was take the ballpoint ink that could be sticky or smelly or not flow very good. You know, you've, you've all, you've smelled that ballpoint ink pen, right? Like back in the day you write with it and (laughs) and you're like, man, what is that smell coming from the paper? That's that oil-based ink. Well, what Uniball did was designed a ballpoint style ink that was smoother, darker, more consistent. It didn't smudge. Um, so that's a pen that a ton of people write with. I recommend it all the time to like students and doctors who have to write a lot of words fast and don't want things smearing, um, you know, things like that. Outside of that, something like the, um, when, once you started getting into fountain pens, kind of the one pen that was kind of the gateway fountain pen that everyone has is called a Lamy Safari. Lamy is a German company. And this is a pen they've been making, gosh, I don't know, 30 or 40 years. It's a molded plastic pen. It's, you know, very utilitarian in design, but it's at the right price point for someone to test out a fountain pen to see if they like it. Like I was talking about the Pilot G2 and the Uniball Jetstream. Those are two or $3 pens. You know, you can go walk down to the store, grab one of those pens for two or $3, have a good writing experience. You if you step into a fountain pen like the Lamy Safari, that's like a $25 pen. So it's more of a commitment. It's more expensive, but it's still not somewhere where you're really going to get burned if you're like, ah, I really don't like fountain pens. They don't work for me. They don't work for the paper I'm writing on, things like that. Interesting. Um, so you, so pretty much every collector that you were to talk to or every person that's really into pens, they're probably going to have a Lamy Safari at their house. Yeah, I, I would say so. You could almost guarantee it, at least with the people that I talk to. At some point, they've owned a Lamy Safari. I, w- I would say that's a, a given, yes. Being somebody that now knows so much about pens and that has a lot of pens, do you still appreciate your Lamy Safari? Or is it like, oh, I've kind of moved on past that level of quality? No, that's the thing. Is it's That pen, just it, it can handle the test of time. It's such a good pen. And I don't, while I don't use it every day, you know, I've got plenty of other pens that I'm using. Um, I have several, I ink them up frequently. It's just a great writing experience. It's a fun pen. I mean, it's, it's, they come out every year. They, they kind of refresh the brand or refresh the product lineup every year. They might do a limited edition color, you know, like this year they did a dark purple that has everyone, you know, who actually some people do collect like each edition of the Lamy Safari. So, you know, everyone's real happy about having their purple Lamy Safari, which they've never made before. So, yeah, 
and uh, it, it just it lives on as a great pen uh, today as it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the more unique and more crazy ones. So I, I read this post on your website that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and it was this woman who had this pen that she was absolutely in love with, um, that she'd been kind of like seeking out and she finally found it. And it was this dragonfly pen that was over a thousand dollars and she called it a Holy grail pen. And I like, I love that term. So like, Mm -hmm. what are some other Holy grail pens that are out there? What makes a pen a Holy grail pen? Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, just talk a little bit about that whole concept. Yeah, so that that's obviously something that's personal to everyone, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be price. It could be, you know, just something you're you're striving for. Like there's a pen we just talked about the Lamy Safari. There's a pen called the Lamy 2000, which is Lamy's kind of most classic design, one of their lowest price gold nib pens. You pay more for a gold nib pen as opposed to steel, as you could imagine. And people who are, are just using two or three dollar pens and they spend $150 on a pen that they've been saving up for and building up, that could be their grail pen, right? You know, and then you take someone like Susan who wrote that article, that uh pen brand is called Nakaya. It's a um Japanese brand. It goes way back with the platinum pen company. Um they've been making pens for gosh, over a hundred years now, I'm thinking, or at least, at least around that long. And the pen that she has is completely hand painted. You know, an artist made that pen essentially. Um, You know, they take basically a raw rod of ebonite, which is like a hard rubber material. And they are lacquering over this pen for months at a time to end up with the result that you were seeing on the blog with this just beautiful artwork on the pen. And it's obviously a very expensive pen because it takes, it probably took someone, you know, six months to make that pen, an individual artist. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, see these types of things and they're saving up for them. You know, they're used to using, say, the the Lamy Safari or they've ramped up into like a Pelican, you know, which makes wonderful German fountain pens. And, you know, they might spend two or $300 on that. And then, you know, once they get more experienced in the fountain pens, they, it starts really kind of coming together what they like in a pen from design and feel and performance wise to where they've spotted something out there by a company that ends up becoming their goal. You know, they want to own this pen because it fits their personality the best. It fits their writing style the best. It fits their style aesthetic the best. And that's kind of how that, that grail pen mentality comes in, you know. And everyone's different, right? You know, no one's grail pen has to be a thousand dollars. It could be a hundred dollars. You know, if it's the perfect pen for you and there's no more, which with us, there's always more, <laughs> you know, you say there's no more, there's always more. Yeah. Um, but you know, like my, my grail pen was also a Nakaya. It wasn't as elaborate as the one Susan wrote about, but it was like a two year process for me discovering this pen, seeing it online understanding how it was made, what it was all about, um, trying to wrap in my head, can I spend $700 on a pen, you know, which is what mine amounted to. And, you know, it's not a rash decision that most anyone who's buying like a grail pen makes, you know, it's a long-term process about learning um, and, you know, about, you know, learning as much as you can about the pen and how it's going to work for you. Because there's a lot of times where you don't get to touch these before you're actually making the purchase. Mm. So luckily in our community, it's uh, very giving. A lot of people will share their pens. I've had people send me their Nakayas, hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of pens, 
in my mailbox just for me to try to see what I like. Wow, it, that's it, awesome. It's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So to, for me to buy my Nakaya was a two-year process just because that's how long it took me to commit to it and to feel like I was you know, spending my money wisely and was a pen I was going to love and cherish. And uh, it turns out it has. It's, it's my favorite pen still to this day. And that was about two years ago that I got mine. Wow, that's awesome, man. And taking that amount of time to purchase something, it just must mean so much Then when you finally get it. That's great. So Brad, like so many people now, like me, I just realized the other day um, when I needed to uh, send a letter the other day, I went to go get a stamp from my little stamp book. And my little stamp book is like, you know, whatever you get at the store. So I think it's like 20 stamps or something like that. And I think I still have maybe 12 of them left. And I looked at the stamp book and they were from 2014. <laughs> and like, I I feel like I really appreciate having nice things. I, I, and I, I feel like I would love to have a nice pen. But it, like, I just don't know when exactly I would use a pen. Do you, do you find that because you're into pens and a lot of these other people who are into pens that you meet, you you write a lot more? Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome question. Actually, I get that all the time. What do you do with all these pens? You know, why do you have more than one pen? You know, it's just a, a wide range. But, you know, someone like myself, I just enjoy writing with it. I enjoy, you know, taking notes. I enjoy planning. I enjoy writing letters when I can. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm fully entrenched in the digital world. You know, my iPhone and my laptop are my favorite devices in the world. But like, for example, you and I talked over email about this show. And here's kind of some topics we're going to talk about. Well, I took those topics and I wrote them out on the page just so I could use my pens. That's what I do. You know, I enjoy That's really cool. I enjoy that feel, that look, that style. It helps me remember things, you know. It it's certainly it's it's not just cool and looks great. It's useful. It helps your brain function in a different way from staring at a screen all day, which I do a lot of days, you know, I will never knock that because I'm face down in a screen a lot. So when I get that break to use a pen and a piece of paper that I enjoy, that I didn't just grab from under the seat cushion, like we were talking about, that that pen means something to me. And that piece of paper means something to me. And you know what? I happen to have purple ink in that pen today. And that purple looks awesome. It means a lot to me. You know, I think I'm considerate of what I'm writing. I retain what I'm writing better. Um, and it's just flat out fun. I mean, it's the people who are, you know, who read my stuff or who are into these pens and things like that. That's kind of, they find a reason to write, even if it's going to take longer, even if it's not the most functional thing at the very moment that they're doing it, it's so ingrained in how our mentality is mm-hmm. that we don't even consider it. Like it's, it's not a chore. It's an enjoyable, it's an enjoyable thing that we do. And, uh, you know, we just have fun with it. So, yeah, but I, I can totally see where it would confuse people. Why, why do you have this whole desk full of pens and you, and, and we all know, we certainly don't need all this stuff, but you know, you get into any, like you get into any hobby, you're trying to find the best things to suit your needs. And that's kind of how you end up uh, like me. Man, that uh, I might have to get myself a nice pen then because <laughs> everything you just said is so it's such a great philosophical practice and, and almost a spiritual practice if you want to call it that in in just slowing down. Like anyone that listens to the show knows that I'm a fan of meditation whenever I get the mm-hmm. chance to do it and stuff and it's very very difficult to force yourself 
to meditate like in the middle of the day when you're working mm-hmm. and stuff because you're like, oh no, I can, I can just do this one more thing or I just got to do this other thing. And then as soon as you actually meditate though, you're like, oh man, like I, I, I really could use this break right now. Like this is great, you know, like, and it, it just allows everything to kind of recharge and refresh. So to force yourself to take these moments throughout the day, to be writing stuff down, to take, to purposely take a little bit longer to do something as opposed to doing it more quickly. Um, I, I certainly don't think that things like that are bad for productivity. If anything, I think it's very good for productivity in the long run to, um, to do some things a little bit more old fashioned and to take, to take your time. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I was going to say, you know, it helps you to take that break. Exactly. Like you said, it's just kind of a a refresh a reboot. And then you just kind of get in the habit of doing it repeatedly. And then it just becomes like something you're really looking forward to. And you get this enjoyment aspect of it and it clears your mind from, you know, some of the other tasks that you're doing, you know, throughout the day. So I, I mean, I think handwriting is wonderful, obviously. Yeah. Cool, man. So what are, if anybody out there did want to buy a pen, um, Mm -hmm. like what are the standards for taking care of a pen? And like, uh, if you're a collector, like a heavy pen user, there are ways Mm -hmm. that you like present them, like keep them on your desk in like a little stand or, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like if if someone collects like baseball cards, they're going to have like card sleeves and hard cases, depending on like the level of the pen. How are, how Mm -hmm. are you keeping your pens? So, it's a couple different things. One is, yeah, I do keep, say, on my desk, just to answer the question straightforwardly, then I'll have an around the around the corner answer. Um, I, I have storage on my desk that my pens rest in. It's basically um, repurposed cigar boxes. They have slots in them, and like some of my either you know more expensive pens sit in there, or pens I want to have handy and useful uh, sit there. But the real answer is. I use the pens, so I don't think of it too much. Like I'm not too, I'm never too precious about my writing instruments. I don't have museum pieces. You know, that's not why I've purchased these pens. I've purchased them to use them. So while I do take care of them, you know, I'm not, I've never made a purchase that I've hung on the wall, if you will. Right. That That's kind of like not the intent. Um, so, but we just have, a lot of us have uh, different pouches, different cases we carry the pens in. And then, you know, that's a whole community too, you know, how we carry our goods, you know, um, different pens go in different pen slots and does the case roll up and is it, you know, soft and does it zip and does it protect? Are they going to fall out? You know, there's all of these things to consider. Um, but in general, most people um, think about that stuff, but they don't get too wrapped up into it unless they're trying to curate some collection, which is really not um, the things that, you know, we think about that much. So yes, we protect the pins. Yes, I carry my pins in cases, but I'll throw that case in a backpack and jostle it around my back just like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad, let's, uh, let's finish this thing off with some advice for people. Uh, Like what, what advice would you give anyone if they wanted to go and uh, get themselves a little bit nicer of a pen tomorrow? You want to go to any office supply store that you can find in your neighborhood, in your town, um, even online. And you want to try just like two or three of the most basic pens that are going to be better than anything you have laying around the house. And those are going to be the Uniball Signo 207. It's just a gel ink pen. It comes in a lot of colors. It comes in like 10 different colors. It writes really, really well, performs very well. 
It's a gel ink pen. Um, it runs about $2 a pen. You know, you buy something like that when you haven't really considered what pens you're using before, that's going to be kind of like a game changer for you. Same thing with the Uniball Jetstream. Those two pens. Um, the Jetstream is one of the smoothest, consistent pens out there. And like I said, I recommend it a lot because it's just that good of a writer for someone who has no idea what to expect out of a pen. You get one of those pens in your hand and you say, oh, okay, I see what you mean. There is a better pen than this random pen I have laying over here. Um, and then another type of pen I like, which we haven't even discussed, and that's also easy to get, is what I call either an artist or a drawing pen. I'm sure you've seen like a felt tip pen that a lot of artists use. Yeah. Those are actually really good writing pens just for general writing. There's a pen called the Secura Pigma Micron. It's You can get it in an art supply store, um, you know, like a Dick Blick or a Michael's Hobby Lobby, any type of those type of stores. Um, they're not hard to get a hold of. Um, again, two or three dollars. It's such a good writing pen. I mean, if you bought like one of each of those three pens, you'd never go back to like picking up the pen that the waitress left behind at the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, and you and you buy one of each of those and you've spent less than $10 and you're so far off, so far better off than what you were a day ago. Um, it's uh, you're hooked from then. Cool, man. Brad, please tell everyone about your website because I went on there to learn a little bit more about pens and I had like such a good time on your website. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate it. So I write a blog called The Pen Addict. It's at penaddict.com. Um, I also do a podcast of the same name, and we just recorded our 200th episode about two weeks ago at the Atlanta Pen Show. We had a special event for episode number 200. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of knee-deep into this, you know, about eight over eight years on the blog, 200 episodes of a podcast. And, um, you know, you can reach me. You can find my Twitter and Instagram all on penaddict.com. I love answering questions. You can send me emails, tweets, any way you want to get to me. I will get back to you because I, I, I love helping out and answering these questions. Cool, man. Brad, thank you so much, dude. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Blake. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show. Then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.